All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Taxes. We're told that the price you pay for civilization, unless of course you live in certain blue states, in which case they're actually the price you pay for the homeless encampment sitting outside of your child's poorly run government school. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about a trip I took. I actually had an opportunity to talk with Art Laffer, who is a supply-side economist, very influential during the Reagan administration, and since then developed the Laffer Curve. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about taxes, everyone's right. favorite subject. And, you know, are they theft? What? How much taxes do you really need? What do they really provide for? What's the best way to collect them? We're going to go over all of that and just a little bit more on this episode of Making the Argument. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Making the Argument. We appreciate you spending this time with us. I know I am excited to hear about Nick's trip to California and being at the Reagan Ranch. If you learned something new today, especially something that you can use in a conversation with a friend or family member, I hope you'll let us know in the YouTube comment section and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We look forward to seeing you in our volley chat, which you can join at the link in the description of this podcast. All right, Nick, member of the House of Delegates, your host. Other than that, a pretty good guy. Tina, Queen of the Bees, is not here today. Again, has left me. We think she'll, we think she'll be back. We th we think I, so. I'm pretty. That's what I told the kids. And, of course, we have our resident historian <laughs> and political prognosticator, Christian Hines. Hello. How you doing? And producer of producers, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking. Well, Nick, who is Art Laffer, and why is he important? So Art Laffer is, well, first of all, um, Tell us about the trip. Yeah, I, so I, I got an invitation to, get ahead of you. to go out to Santa Barbara uh, for Young America's Foundation, and they were doing um, they were doing an economics leadership seminar at the Reagan Ranch. Okay, and this is really cool because I got to see the Reagan Ranch, which is incredible. Um, but I also we we also got to sit there with me and about twenty other uh, state legislators, and really got some time to go over and discuss tax policy with Art Laffer, who is one of the um, you know, criti critical economists within supply side economics. And he came up with what's known as the Laffer curve. And to just give you kind of a quick definition. What is supply side economics? Su supply side economics was basically the, the overall theory that when you're talking about tax policy, when you're talking about regulatory policy, some people say that, well, the, the key is, is that you put more hands or you put more money in the hands of consumers and they buy stuff and that fuels the economy. The supply side was the idea that, well, people that are actually creating the goods and services are the ones that are responding to consumer demand. And so lightening the tax burden and creating an environment where it makes it easier okay. for people to produce is, is critical to a healthy economy. Gotcha. And and the left tried to the left tried to character it by calling it trickle down economics, which is really what their it's what theirs do. Are, yeah, theirs really. are trickle down economics. Yeah, not the trickle down economics was never what what 
the right or uh, free market economists argued for this idea that oh we're going to give a bunch of money to rich people and it'll trickle down. That's not what it was at all. It was it was create an environment where it becomes easier for entrepreneurs to do what entrepreneurs do, which is find new and effective ways to use scarce resources in order to make the goods and services that people want. And when you when you foster an environment where it's easy for them to do that, everyone benefits. Right. Whereas the whole idea of, hey, if you make a lot, I'm going to take it from you. I'm going to give it to this person over here. And I'm, I'm the hero of the little guy. No, you're not. Because whenever you create a tax system which says, I'm going to take money from you, who I'm, I'm going to take money from someone that worked, innovated, and, and did a good sure. thing, and I'm going to give it to somebody that doesn't work, you've actually encouraged both sides to not work as and much. And what the entrepreneur does is already difficult enough without the government getting involved. Yeah. Well, they're, they're creating, they're, Again, they're operating from this belief system that, you know, there, there's these rigid power structures and these, you know, evil people have money because they somehow exploited the poor or the labor. Okay, that's that can certainly happen in some places. It usually happens in communist countries, right? right? And, and it happens in, in heavily aristocratic countries, but it, it free market economies are actually designed to, to do the opposite of what they claim. So that's the whole concept of, of supply chain, right? Or not the whole concept. It's a brief overview. Sure. And then the Laffer curve, I'll just read this off. The Laffer curve is a theory formalized by supply side economist Arthur Laffer to show the relationship between tax rates and the amount of tax revenue collected by governments. The curve is used to illustrate the argument that sometimes cutting taxes can result in increased total tax revenue. And I, I want to read this real quick because um, I, Dan Mitchell did this. Um, and he said this, what's the Laffer curve? He goes, it's the simple common sense observation that there's not a linear relationship between tax rates and tax revenue. Really? Okay, what does that mean? And, and the reason why they're saying this is because you see politicians will do this all the time. Like, we're going to pass this new tax increase and it's going to raise this much revenue. And what they're essentially doing is they're assuming that if everyone works at the same rate, does nothing to change their behavior, but continues to produce at the rate that they're producing, this is the revenue that will come in. The problem is reality doesn't work that way. And, and he provides an example. He goes, folks in the private sector understand this principle. No restaurant owner, for instance, would double meal prices and assume that revenues would climb by 100% because if you doubled the meal prices, you would adjust your behavior. And he goes, yet that's basically the methodology used by the Joint Committee on Taxation when estimating the revenue impact of changes in tax rates. So politicians like to sit there and pretend that, oh, gosh, well, if we just you know, doubled the taxes on rich people or, or you know, raise this over here, then we would raise this much money. You might raise that much money if they continue to produce at the same level. But if you're essentially punishing production, you get less production. Sure. Right. Or what ends up happening is people hire lobbyists and they come up with all kinds of like carve outs within the, the tax bill. And the left always loves to talk about this as if it's something that just rich right wing corporate executives are doing. Do go look at who's donating to Democrat candidates. Yeah. You're going to find a whole list, a litany of, of tax attorneys. You're going to find a litany of like mm -hmm. corporations. You think Amazon, Google, and Facebook are giving a ton of money to Republicans? No. And they get their little carve outs within the tax system. And what ends up happening is you have people that get very, very confused and frustrated about who's paying taxes, what percentage of their income. And it doesn't even help when you have people like Warren Buffett, who you know wrote an article in the New York Times and said, oh my gosh, I'm taxed at a lower rate than my secretary. And again, he's being intellectually dishonest in, in one way, but then he's also illustrating the problems that we have within our tax system 
uh, on another way, which is to say that, yes, there are a lot of carve-outs. There, there are a lot of ways that the government attempts to manipulate behavior right. through the tax code, which is inappropriate. And one of the big things that Laffer was talking about at this conference, um, and again, big admirer. I, I have some disagreements with him, but overall, big admirer, and I think that his his a lot of the things that he had to say with respect to fostering prosperity within a society made a lot of sense. And so what I want to do today is for anyone out there that has had issues with people going, oh, the rich don't pay their fair share, or taxes are the price you pay for civilization, or you know whatever, um, I want to talk about there's five steps, five categories. Okay. Five steps. Yeah, that the Laffer talks about that are, are, are critical. So the first one had to do with tax structure. Okay. Okay, and, and the tax structure, not in here. The tax structure is, is basically how do you collect the taxes um, and, and who do you collect them from? And the whole concept of, again, the Laffer curve was this idea that there's a point where if you raise taxes too much, two things happen. People engage in avoidance, which is they find ways to not pay the taxes. And that can be legal avoidance. That can be illegal avoidance. Right. The other thing they do is they, they stop their productivity. So, for instance, when Reagan came into office, the top marginal tax rate. Right. So there's different tax sure. rates for everybody. The top marginal tax rate was 70 percent. That's wild. So think about that for a second. I want you to think about, OK, you've made, you know, a million dollars. You know, and, and again, I'm not saying this was the exact number. I'm just giving an example. You make a million dollars and every dollar you make over a million, the government's going to take 70 percent of it. So you start to ask the question, right? Like, is it really worth my time and effort to continue to work past a certain rate? Or you go to your accountant and ask, what can I purchase that would reduce my taxable income below a million dollars? So there's all kinds of things that you end up manipulating the way people operate within the economy, right? And they start setting up, oh, I'm going to set up a trust for this, or I'm going right. to invest in this over here. Well, one of the things that the government did at the same time that it was raising these taxes is it provided tax shelters, Right. Uh, so what was one of the what was one of the most commonly used tax shelters? Today it's health savings accounts. Health savings accounts. It could be 401ks for employees, it could sure. be health accounts for employees. And you might argue I like those things, right? I don't like whatever. One of the biggest ones was municipal bonds. What is that? A municipal bond is think of a local government that issues bonds out to investors. And if you buy municipal bonds, you get like a, a lower return on your investment, right? Maybe it's only a few percentage points. Maybe it can be a little bit higher. depends on the municipal bond. But they're tax-free. And you're guaranteed to get paid because the municipality has taxing authority. So they can go out and confiscate the money to pay the lenders who paid for the municipal bonds. Well, if you're an investor and you have a time where you're like, okay, I need to, I need to take some of my money and I need to put it into something that I'm not going to get you know, tax at the same level on, you throw it into municipal bonds. Well, what have you just encouraged? You've encouraged governments taking out more debt mm -hmm. in, in, in order to fund more public projects. Well, you might like some of those projects. You might not like other of those projects. But what you've essentially done is you've created a tax shelter for wealthy people to spend, to invest their money, not in the private sector economy, where it's determined based off of you know, you know, very, you know, stringent market forces right. that, you know, reward people for making good decisions and punish them for making bad ones. No, you've done it in municipal bonds. So it's politicians spending, spending this money, more money, right? And, and they don't, I mean, they don't really pay much of a, a price for it going badly. 
I mean, yeah, if something goes really, really badly, they might they might lose an election, but they can usually point to somebody else to blame, as we've seen all over the place, right? So, again, in the tax structure, one of the things that our, our uh, Dr. Laffer was talking about was, again, you only want, we're going to assume for a second that some taxes are necessary, all right? I, all taxes have a negative impact um, on, on the person being taxed to some degree. It's important to acknowledge that. But for argument's sake, we're going to say some taxes are necessary to pay for certain legitimate functions of government. And so what Laffer was saying is that within your tax structure, you want to, you want to lower the rates as low as possible. You want to expand the base, which means you don't want just a few people over here or a few people over here paying all the taxes because then you create this perverse incentive where the people not paying taxes are totally fine with tax increases because right. that's only affecting them when in reality, if if you're punishing people that are hyper-productive within the economy, they're the ones actually produ- producing the jobs, the opportunities, right. the goods and services. So even though you know somebody that might not be making as much money can be sold on this crappy idea by a politician that, oh, I'm not taxing you. I'm taxing the mean corporate executive. Talent you know, sold every single time. Yeah, yeah, I'm not taxing you. I'm taxing the mean corporate executive who just had to cut your job or your pay because they've been taxed more. Right. So it's important to understand that one one of the thing was lower the base. That's part of the reason for it is that you want everyone saying that, okay, if these public services are supposed to be for the entire public, then everyone in the public has skin in the game. And what that also does is it creates an environment where it makes it much more difficult for the government to raise taxes because now everyone is feeling the bite when they raise them. Okay. So Laffer was proposing that the tax structure needed to be formulated in such a way that taxes were being paid by everyone yeah. rather than a select few. Everyone, but at a much lower rate. Okay. Right. And so, and even wealthier people, and in, in most of like Laffer's suggestions, wealthy people are still paying more taxes. Sure. Because they're either paying um, the same percentage rate on a higher amount of income, or if it's something like sales taxes, wealthy people by nature buy more things than Especially poor people. Especially their businesses. Yeah. So they they're 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 creating more tax revenue that way. But he goes lower the rates, lower the base. He goes that does two things. One. When you have low rates and you and you have an expanded base, um, everyone has buy-in. Um, the other thing that happens is it reduces the the um, the inclination to spend a bunch of money on a tax attorney looking for loopholes. Sure. And it doesn't pervert investment by driving people to invest in things that they would never invest in, except for the fact that they're a tax shelter. Yeah. Right. Um, the other thing that he, he's very big on with respect to taxes, and this is something that will blow a lot of people's minds is his whole idea is taxes are for one purpose and one purpose only, raising revenue to fund legitimate functions of government. Now, that's you, you tell someone that, like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Of course, that's why we, we you know have taxes. He goes, no, but if you look at a, a vast majority of our tax structure, 77,000 pages of federal code and, that is relevant to the tax code, there is so much in there that is designed to manipulate behavior. Right, you have to yeah. pay this taxes unless you put it in municipal bonds. You have to pay this taxes if you smoke. You have to pay this much yeah. taxes if you own property and then you sell it. You have to pay these kind of taxes. And and again, they're trying to incur- even even stuff that some conservatives like, like the child tax credit. Right, right. You're still manipulating. You're trying to manipulate behavior through the tax code. Incentivize it. Yeah. And and the big thing that he stresses is and don't do that because it encourages this effect where even if you like a particular manipulation, it's going to encourage more. Right. And now you end up with a tax system where most people have no idea what they owe the government when yeah. they show up to pay taxes. But the IRS does. 
they don't even have the time, right? But it comes down to this whole idea of there are so many carve outs, loopholes, taxes, hidden fees, you know, all of that makes it so confusing that just complying with the tax yeah. code costs Americans billions of dollars a year. On on the micro side, small businesses are affected when trying to hire individuals, you yeah. know, working with contractors versus full-time employees. Mm-hmm. And so the IRS incentivizes full-time employees so they can make yes. more revenue. Oh, yeah. That's why they, they – But then to, they uh, say that we're just trying to protect the worker. Yeah, yeah. No, but they're not. It hurts everyone. But I want to paint this picture real quick. Let's say you're Amazon. And you have no political bias, but let's just say, let's just assume for a moment okay, we're that they assume don't. Jeff Bezos has no political bias. All right, continue. But the right, the yeah. the conservatives are saying we want you to do business in whatever way you you want to. Yeah, and you're going to be productive. But then the left is over here, and they're in power, and they're incentivizing Amazon to do X, Y, and Z. Who? are you going to cozy up with in that situation? You're probably going to cozy up with the person on the left side who is either going to incentivize you to, you know, conduct a certain way, or they're going to punish you if you don't. Well, this, yes. And this comes down to what we call, again, I get on to people all the time when they say, oh, all the Democrats are socialists. Like, no, actually most of them are like Bernie Sanders, maybe, you know, maybe a couple other people, but most of them are actually what what you would call economic fascists. And and again, that's such a loaded word. Everyone thinks Nazis sure. or, or race. I don't mean that. What I mean is the difference between a socialist economy and a fascist economy is a socialist economy believes in government ownership of the means of production, right? So the government would own Amazon. A fascist economy would say, Jeff, you can own Amazon, but you're going to run Amazon the way we want. Right. Right. And, and they're very, very heavily involved in determining what the labor force structure looks like, what labor agreements look like. They're very they can be very, very uh, focused on production, uh, although they don't get so much into that in the United States. Right. But the point is, this goes into the regulatory structure. Component. So this okay. the first one is tax structure. Second one is regulatory structure. If the government is constantly coming in and intervening in the way a government conducts his business or a private citizen conducts their business and transactions that adds additional burden. There are costs associated to regulations. Yes. Now we're not saying that there's, there shouldn't be any at all. Like for instance, the regulation that you drive on the road a certain way and you stop at stop. I think we all understand, okay, this makes sense for for the good order of the way a road would run, right? These are, we get it. Yeah. The problem is, is that when you have massive regulations that are constantly intervening, so I'll give you an example of this. There's, there's two ways you can tell a company to, say, reduce its carbon footprint. One way is you can say that each smokestack at your refinery or whatever, whatever it is, right, each smokestack cannot have more than this, this many particulates you know, moving out. Or you can say you need to reduce you know, your emission by this much or you need to pay what they call Pagovian tax in order to you know, help fund the additional cleanup operations. So in one of those systems, you are micromanaging the process. In another system, you're saying, here's our end goal. I'm going to let you use the creativity of the marketplace in order to reach it. Right. Another example we saw with this was catalytic converters. Right. We want to reduce smog coming from cars. So we're going to require catalytic converters on cars sold in the United States because that will reduce smog. Well, here's the problem. There were other cars that were being uh, manufactured and purchased in the United States that didn't have catalytic converters. They had other systems, right, that were actually doing a better job of reducing smog. But since Uh. the government regulation said you had to have the catalytic converter and there was a lobbyist, there was a lot of lobbyists that advocated for that because it benefited their client. 
right? They could claim they were protecting in the environment when really what they were doing was engaging in micromanagement, uh, micromanaging regulatory policy, which is actually bad for the environment, but good for the particular lobbyist and, and industry. So I've got a uh, few things that I've been looking up uh, during this episode that I wanted to bring up. And we got three more things we had to go through, so. Okay, so the to the point on the the um the whole you know argument from the left in terms of of like tax structures i've got this quote from our good friend frederick bastiat that i'd like to read off um and it's probably my favorite bastiat quote of all time where he just completely destroys this narrative that that basically the taxes are the price that you pay for civilization he goes on to say this um he wrote this in uh june 1848 but it's still applicable today <laughs> Um, he goes on to say, the socialists declared that the state owes subsistence, well-being, and education to all its citizens, that it should be generous, charitable, involved in everything, devoted to everybody, that it should intervene directly to relieve all suffering, satisfy and anticipate all wants, furnish capital to all enterprises, enlightenment to all minds, balm, to, um, balm for all wounds, asylums for all the unfortunate, and even to aid, um, and even aid to the point of shedding French blood, he was a French politician, um, for all the oppressed people on the face of the earth. And then he goes on to conclude, who would not like to see these benefits flow forth from, uh, upon the world from the law as if from, um, as if from an inexhaustible source? But is it possible? Where does the state draw upon those resources that it's urged to dispense by way of benefit to individuals? Is it not from the individuals themselves? How then can these resources be increased by passing through the hands of a parasitic and vo vociferous intermediary? The fact that he calls the government a parasitic <laughs> and vociferous, uh, uh, voracious, actually, voracious. sorry. Pass through the hands of a parasitic and voracious intermediary. Finally, we shall see the entire people transformed into partitioners. This is getting to the point that Nick was just bringing up. Landed property, agriculture, industry, commerce, shipping, industrial companies will all bestir themselves to claim favors from the state. The public treasury will be literally pillaged. Everyone will have good reasons to prove that legal fraternity should be interpreted in this sense. Let me have the benefits and let others pay the costs. Everyone's efforts will be directed towards snatching a scrap of fraternal privilege from the legislature. The suffering classes although having the greatest claim will not always have the greatest success. Yep. Wow. He's now right. granted he writes in a, in a, I mean, I, I stumbled at several times here. So he, he writes in a, in a tone that is obviously 150 plus years out of date, but the, the, the crux of the point that he's getting at is very similar to the same argument that Nick was making earlier in the show. And the reason that I was quiet for so long in this um, in this podcast was because I was trying to pull up some stats to back up the whole entire argument that, uh, no, higher tax areas do not necessarily bring about the benefits that people are talking about. The highest tax state in the country is the great state of California, which is not really all that great. In fact, it had something like 250,000 people move out of it in one year. That was just last I year. I wonder why. That was why. That was one year, just last year. And they're not alone. New York State also lost yeah. over 100,000 people. The highest tax states are the ones that are losing people the fastest right now in this country. Well, and, 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 being, and we've talked about this before. It's because a lot of them have recognized, and this goes into the third point that Laffer brings up, and this is about government spending, right, is that – a lot of these people weren't leaving California or New York or wherever because of high taxes. 
they were leaving because their high taxes wasn't giving them the things they were promised they would right. get if they got high taxes. Yep. Now, the scary part is, is they're going to go to other places and think, maybe here the high taxes will give. No, the high taxes are actually the thing destroying what you actually want, and that's productivity in the economy. Right? It, it is much better. We, we understand this intuitively when we go to the store. Right? It is much better if you want to get wealthier within a society. You don't provide one really expensive product. You provide a billion affordable products because then you've got a, a ton of people actually, you know, you're buying what it is sure. that you're selling. And you've actually increased the value to billions of people instead of just a couple. And, and they're starting to realize that, yeah, in, a, in an area that's low taxes, but highly productive, the government actually has the capacity to raise greater revenue. And we, we've seen this in the U.S. This happened in the 20s, it happened in the 60s, and it happened in the 80s. And then the opposite happened in other areas. Not to mention the fact that when they actually lowered a lot of these marginal tax rates, the rich paid a greater share of the overall tax revenue mm. than when the tax rates were high because they were engaging in less avoidance and more productivity. And this goes to the third structure. So tax structure, regulatory structure, government spending. And this goes to what Christian was just saying from Bastiat. Once people see it as, well, the, it's the government's responsibility to do all those things, everyone shows up to the government trough trying to make the argument on why my issue is the most important, right? Like, I'm a farmer. I need more government spending and subsidies because food is critical. No, 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 no. I need them for my electric vehicle because that's going to save the environment. No, 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 no. I need it for insert I special need it interest for here. That, that, what was it, like... Uh $200 billion silicon uh, semiconductor chip uh, subsidy bill that just passed recently. Yeah. Like, like I mean, that we're subsidizing. It, it should be no surprise that in an environment where everything is dictated by the government and, and you win or lose based on how many subsidies or tax breaks yeah. you get, that, that spending on lobbying is going through the roof. And it's so crazy because that's an issue that usually the left seems to try to care more about. We, you know, we need to tackle special interest in Washington. The reason that there are special interests in the first place is because the government has so much control over the economy with things like subsidies and taxation. Yep. Well, no, and it, and it goes in, it goes into the, the fourth category. So the government spending is, it's not only the government malinvesting a lot of your dollars or not spending it well and are engaging in corruption. You've set up a perverse incentive structure within the economy where now companies are not going after your money by providing right. you a good or service. They're going to the government for subsidies. The, th the fourth pillar was monetary policy, and this kind of feeds right into the government spending. When the government can't tax the money to spend or borrow the money to spend, it starts printing the money to spend. <laughs> and if you don't have a sound monetary policy that's actually connected to something like a gold standard, Right. And gold standard, I had some moron on Twitter look at me like, oh, you want a gold standard? You want people to walk around with bags of gold coins? Like, yeah, that's oh what your gosh. grandparents and parents were yeah. doing in the in, 70s. In, the in 1970, yeah. they, were, they were just hauling around bags of gold. Yeah. No, like uh, the, the monetary policy thing is, is just mind boggling because we've talked about this on the show before. When you look at any of those charts about the separation between like wages and productivity or whatever it is, income inequality or housing afford, whatever the issue is, it all starts right when the gold standard was cut off in the 70s. Yeah. That mm -hmm. in the beginning of the Greenspan put in the 80s. Those two things yeah. are when the separation begins. When the began. Fed just starts printing money and throwing it into the economy, that's where you get inflation. So that's why Laffer brings up that as his fourth. And then the fifth one is free trade. And this is one where a lot of conservatives get upset. And, and it's interesting because I was asking Laffer about Trump and, and 
Laffer confirmed something for me that I was actually really happy to hear. He goes, Trump was engaging in hard negotiation with foreign countries because I do not like protectionism. Protectionism right. and tariffs are bad. All they are is a tax on foreign consumption. So you go and you buy something because it came from a foreign country. Now we're going to charge you more. There's a reason why the United States was set up as a free trade zone. It's because we understand that tariffs are bad. Like they're, they're actually harmful to overall For everyone. Yes. And, and people need to think of trade as nothing more than you and I engaging in a voluntary transaction. Right. Now, if I'm engaging with someone in my town, in my state, across the country, or across the world, as long as we're doing it voluntarily, that's a positive transaction. Right. And I started to ask him, like, well, what about Trump's protectionism? And he goes, no. He goes, I really think Trump was trying to negotiate more free trade deals, but Trump was also correct that we allow far more access to our markets than other countries allow to ours. And apparently there was, a, there was an event that Trump went to, Christian will love this, there was an event that Trump went to where Trump finally looked at everyone across the table and he goes, you know what? The United States is ready right now for reciprocal free trade where we will cut all the tariffs. Are you ready? Do you want to do it? Nobody at the table wanted to do wow. it. And it was him demonstrating that, no, you want access to our markets, but you don't want to give us access to yours. And, and Trump was operating off the notion that if I can starve you of access to American markets, you'll open your markets more and that'll be better for both sides. Sure. But that's, that's what it comes down to. At the end of the day, free trade is nothing more than recognizing that if you and I are engaging in a voluntary transaction, we're doing so because we think both of us will be better off afterwards. It's not that both of us are the same. It's not that one person's better and one person's worse. The only reason two people voluntarily agree in trade is because they think it's mutually beneficial. And so those are the five steps. Tax structure, low. He wanted, this is our, our uh, Dr. Laffer's thing. Tax structure, keep it low, keep the rates low, and expand the base, and, and only use it to gain revenue. Don't try to do it to manipulate the economy. Regulatory structure, keep the regulations at the absolute bare minimum to prevent like catastrophes. But again, don't try to manipulate individual behavior. Allow people to be creative and innovative, and don't set up barriers to entry into the marketplace. Allow for the maximization of competition. Government spending, keep it low and only on legitimate functions of government, because if you don't, you're going to wind up with people going to the government to get their customers' money instead of going to their customers. Uh, the monetary policy, without sound monetary policy, you're going to get runaway inflation. And then finally, foster an environment where people are free to make voluntary transactions with people wherever they're at. And honestly, like watching all of this and listening to him explain it, and he had a, a historian there as well. I want to read off his name for you guys because they just came out with a book. Uh, Brian uh, Dimitrovic, he's the uh, PhD out of... Um, Harvard and a historian. And one of the things I love about their, their new book is called Taxes Have Consequences. And they don't just look at economic theory and practice. Brian actually goes through and looks at the history of tax oh, wow. policy. I'm stunned they let a conservative it. like him into Harvard. But. <laughs> and explains how, it, how it's worked over time and really makes, they make a very good historical and economic argument. But I can't say enough good things about this conference. I've been to a lot of conferences as a state legislator. This was by far one of the best because they kept it smaller. We had a lot of time to just sit there and ask questions over breakfast with a guy that sat in all these meetings and and developed these theories. And it was and he is such a nice guy. Like you want to talk about a super likable guy, uh, Doctor Laffer, uh, Brian. They were they were great. So overall, it was a great thing. But if you want to learn more, I would encourage you to go to um, it's the LafferCenter.org. Um, L a f f e r. L a f f e r Center.org. 
Again, learn more about this because this is going to equip you with the arguments that you need to fight back against some of these claims like, oh, the rich don't pay their fair share, or taxes are just the price we pay for civilization, and any taxes we pay must be a good thing. Or if we just raise taxes on the rich, whoever those are, right, yeah. one day to the next, we'll all be better off. The bottom line is at the end of the day, this is not about this is not just about creating more wealth. This is about you having the freedom within your own life to make economic decisions about where you work, about whether or not you start a business, about an industry that you break into, about who you trade with. Like all of this stuff, all of this stuff is is essential to freedom. Freedom is not just, oh, I get to elect my leaders every two to four years. Freedom is predominantly about your ability to make transactions and economic decisions for your life. I got news for you. The reason why so many people fled places in Europe to come to the United States was not simply because they didn't like the Duke. A lot of people fled from countries where you could vote for parliament. What, the, what America represented was a low-tax, low-regulatory environment where you could actually try something and, and you could start a business and you could own your property and you could right. do so living in the, in the relative security that it wasn't going to be the government that came in to prevent you or take it from you when you got yeah. too successful. And that's essential. And that is why, that is why we believe in, in you know, again, reducing taxes, reducing regulations. It's not because we don't care about the public. It's because we do care about the public. Yeah. And the public is made up of individuals with a whole host of, of dreams and ideas of what it means to pursue happiness. And the more the government arrogantly interferes in that process, the less capable they are to be able to plan for themselves. All right. Fantastic. I know we got kind of a shorter episode today. Please go on Volley. Check out our Volley check. Let us know what you think about this episode. If you got some more stuff, we could probably do another episode just on, we'll do it right around April. We'll do it right around <laughs> when everyone's paying taxes. But again, thank you very much for joining us. Go to our Volley chat, leave us a comment, and we'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.